Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to be home. Uh, we, I've been on the road a lot the last month. It's so good to be home. Looking forward to celebrating with our team this afternoon downtown. I heard the chuckle when I said our. Several years ago, Cindy and I were in southern Minnesota visiting family. We decided to go to a baseball game in Minneapolis. I had a friend that was playing for the twins at the time. So we, so we made the 80-mile or whatever it was uh, trek to the stadium. The twins at that time played in a domed stadium. It's called the Metro Dome. Anybody ever been to the Metro Dome? Yeah, it's an awful experience. Uh, I got there, and uh, the grass was plastic. Uh, The outfield wall looked like it was made out of glad trash bags. Uh, The roof was white, the same color as the baseball. Um, And the players played in sneakers, like Chuck Taylors, instead of Spike's. The whole thing, all those elements kind of converged just to make the whole experience feel altered, artificial. It's still baseball. There were reasons why they had those elements. I mean, playing baseball in Minnesota is not really a fit, you know. Uh, but, but for me, it, it made it artificial. Something got lost in, in that experience for me. Uh, it was less than the original vision of the game, I think. This morning, we're going to encounter Christ. Engaging a place, perhaps even a people, whose faith had been altered. To the point of being artificial. We're going to look at it this morning with expectant eyes, not just read it, but let it read us. That's what God's Word does. And we're going to let it ask three questions of us, specifically three questions. So here we go. You ready? This is in John. We've been journeying in John for a while. We're only in chapter 2. This is an interesting passage to read on Palm Sunday. Uh, There's some questions about this this event we're going to read. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other gospel writers, all place this event right at the beginning of Passion Week. Not John. He has it at chapter 2, very early. So scholars have scratched their heads. Did Did this happen twice? Early in Jesus' ministry, and then again, maybe. Or has John moved it for a purpose? Well, you can do more research about it uh, on your own. I don't know that it's critical, but just, I would just remind you of this. John's writing for a purpose. You remember the purpose? He says, I've written these things that you might believe. He's not quite like Luke, whose primary purpose is is to give his friend 
Theophilus in an orderly account to the life of Jesus. John's writing thematically that we might believe. So was there one or two? Who's to say? Either way, John is giving this text primacy. I think we're going to see that. He wants to really shine a light on this. So here we go. John 2, 13 to 22 reads like this. When the Jewish Passover was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, quick side note. Passover is a, is a pretty big theme in the Gospel of John. We're going to weave in and out of Passover. Passover was a feast, a festival, a holiday that celebrated God delivering his people out of slavery and delivering them from death. That was Passover. So Jesus enters Jerusalem And he goes into the temple, and in the temple, John writes, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. Others were sitting at tables exchanging money. So he makes a whip out of rope, and he drives them all from the temple courts, along with the sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturns their tables. And to those who were selling birds, he said, get these out of here. Do not make my father's house a market. The disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to Jesus, what sign will you show us that you've got the authority to do this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? And John adds, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture in the words Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard your word as it was written. We've heard it from the hand of your friend, John. We've heard it inspired through your Holy Spirit, guided John's thoughts, inspiring him to bring out of this narrative what you want us to see, sitting here nearly 2,000 years later. Lord, we enter this sacred space of hearing your word with expectation that you would speak to us. Lord, only your word and your spirit do that in such a unique way, and we're privileged to be here under it. So speak afresh. Speak to us where our souls are tired, where our eyes are dry, where our hearts are hard. Query us, Lord, to look to you anew, to look with simple, childlike faith. Lord, overturn the artificiality in our lives of our faith, where we've altered it. 
God, sing to us a new song today. We need to hear from you. We do so many different things with our lives, and we get altered. We need you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. First question today is simple. It comes from the temple itself. Are you making room for the sacred in your life? Jesus goes to the temple and he finds people selling sheep, cattle, birds. Now, this wasn't like rescue shelter open house day at the temple. This, these animals were there not to be rescued, but to die, to be sacrificed. They were sold so that people could offer sacrifices in the temple. There were money changers there too, not necessarily because people were bringing foreign currency, but because the Jewish people wouldn't accept the local currency in the temple. Why? Because it had images of the emperor on it. It had images of pagan gods. So Rome gave them permission to use their own temple money for the temple. Temple. Let's think about that for a minute. It was the central place. It was the place for the Jewish identity. It was the first place for them. It stood proud, strong in the city. It symbolized the presence of God. It notified the people and reminded them as they went through the market and about their day that God was there with them, that he had been there. That he wasn't going anywhere. The temple was a place where people went to meet God. It had been set apart. So Jesus goes to the temple and sacred is not what he finds. He finds a market. Maybe it was a little bit like going to the Metrodome for a baseball game. Artificial. I don't think it was so much that selling and buying and changing money. It was where it was being done. It was cheapening. It was altering what temple was supposed to be for. And I think Jesus understood the need for sacred in our lives. He understands that you and I need sacred. We need sacred time. We need sacred activity in our lives. We even need sacred place. You know, this room can be that for us. You may not have discovered it yet in the, in the cafe, the room behind us. If you're part of our community, there's a, a new prayer room that Beck and Jen have, have made. That can be a sacred place, perhaps, for you from time to time. A place to connect with God, to nurture our faith. You know, the reality is all God makes, all God gives is sacred. There's a sacredness to everything. That's why our, our work and our vocation and our family and even our play can be sacred when we're doing it in the presence of God. But there's also places we set aside. There's times we set aside. There's activities we engage in and we set aside. So our first question is, are you making room? in your life 
or sacred? Are you giving space? That may be time in God's Word, meditating, reading, reflecting. It may be connecting outside, outdoors, in in nature. It, It may be looking at God's beauty through things men and women have made, art, and reflecting on the goodness of God. It may be spending time with a child and seeing the face of Christ in them through their curiosity. It may be enjoying community and realizing that Christ is among us. All these are sacred spaces and places and activity. What's it look like for you, sacred space, time? Where are you meeting God in the rhythm of your life? God's gifted us with something called Sabbath. That's one thing he's invited us into is like, take time and enter Sabbath space with me. Rest from labor. Rest from striving. Declare your dependence by stopping. Lord, during this time of Sabbath, I'm not going to produce. I'm going to receive purposefully. I'm going to enter sacred time and space with you. We can have daily rhythms as well. Engaging God in the morning in word and in prayer. Reflection. Reflection, memorizing, meditating, reading, taking in. Holy Scripture. This week is really hardwired. This season of of Lent and Holy Week is really designed to help us enter sacred space. If, if you're here to go, I don't know how to do that. I just want to say you're surrounded by people who that's a part of their practice. Grab one of us. Say, help me know how to practice, to make room in my life for sacred. Jesus knew that we needed it, that we can't really grow up in our faith. We can't really mature our relationship with God without giving attention to the sacred. Here's our second question. It's going to come from the temple staff. Here's here's the question. When you feel provoked or when you feel resistance within you, what do you do with that? Do you get defensive? I often do. Or do you get curious about it? So the temple staff, they've got a question for Jesus. Jesus has driven out the sheep and the cattle and flipped the tables. You don't just waltz into the temple and do that, by the way, and get away with it. It's not like the priest called security and had them escort Jesus out and then went about his day. This is incredibly disruptive. It was disturbing. So they've got a question. What sign will you give to prove your authority to do this? There's an irony in the question, I think, that they couldn't see it. What what sign will you give for your authority to do this? I wonder if Jesus' thought was... um, 
I just gave you one. Clearing the vendors and the bankers out of the temple was the sign. And they missed it. Completely missed it. And of course it provoked them to have Christ come into your house and do that. (laughs) That's provoking. You don't just turn over tables and that doesn't bother the owners of the tables. They gave in to the provocation with the question. They could have gotten curious. There's another way. It's not easy. But when we get provoked to say, well, what, boy, something just got poked. What is that? Why am I so angry? Why am I so resistant right now? Why am I so anxious? We can get curious with it. Can you imagine if they just got curious and said, Jesus, can, can we just... Can we just like talk about this? Like what's going on here? What are, you, what are you doing here? But instead they get defensive. What sign do you have? And so in some ways, this moment right here, them demanding a sign from Jesus after he just gave one, is like symbolic of their entire journey with Jesus the next three years. He's teaching among them. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. And over and over, they're asking, by what authority are you doing this? They're missing it. God is in their presence. They wouldn't get curious. My good friend and mentor brings that to me. I've shared this with you before. When you feel resistance, do you get curious? Or do you get defensive? What Jesus does, actually what he says, he's already done something, now he's going to say something. They missed the sign, now he's going to give them another one in his words. It's one of the most provocative statements in Scripture. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. As if flipping the tables wasn't bad enough. Destroy this temple. English majors, this is your moment. This is the imperative case. It's a command. Jesus is saying, destroy this temple. Go ahead. Try it. Do it. Watch what happens. He's being strong here. He's not looking at his sandals, shuffling his feet. You want a sign? Okay. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it. I'll just need three days. I think it's amazing that that John pauses at the end of this text and, and, and tells us that sometime after the resurrection... The disciples remembered this. I would have loved to have been there. Maybe I'm watching The Chosen too much. But I envision the the disciples sitting around the fire sometime after the resurrection. 
And, and Peter's like, guys, do you remember that day in the temple when Jesus went nuts and, and started flipping temple, the, the tables and driving the animals out? You remember that? And Nathaniel goes, yeah, you remember what he said? I never could figure that one out. Destroy this temple and in three... Wait a minute. Did, wait, did, did, wait, 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 wait. Is anybody thinking what I'm thinking? Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Man, I bet the light bulb started flashing around that campfire. Curiosity. They didn't get curious. The temple staff, they could have, but they don't. They never do. So that's our second question. Do you get curious? Learn from the temple staff. When we don't, we miss it. There's so many times, we've had so many opportunities for resistance the last few years, right? I mean, you don't just turn around, it's there. What do we do with that? Do we get critical? Judgmental, angry, or do we get curious? Doesn't mean we don't have a right sometimes to a little righteous indignation. That's not the point. Here's what I've learned. When I get curious, I've been amazed at the doors God opens in my soul. And says, Jim, this is why you're angry. A wound in you just got poked. Or you've got anger residing in that part of your person. I want to heal that. Third question. It's our main question. What kind of faith are you forming? Is it authentic faith? Is it artificial faith? Is it all, all been, being altered in some way? You know, no one understood what Jesus meant when he said destroy this temple. And I'll raise it up in three days. No one got it. That's crazy talk to the temple leaders. It's probably crazy talk to the disciples too. Fortunately for us, John interprets it for us. See, John's writing 50 or 60 years later. And John adds his commentary. Jesus was talking about what? Say it. His body. He meant his body when he said destroy this temple. This is one of the most important theological statements in Scripture. Jesus is calling himself the temple of God. I think John's really leaning in right here with us. I really do. He wants us to get this. I don't know if you remember in chapter 1 of John, verse 14, John says, The Word became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. Remember that? Remember that word for dwelling was what? Tabernacle. 
tabernacle was the portable temple, so to speak. It was the first version when, when God's people were like in the desert. When they were uh, refugees, God sets up this tabernacle among them to remind them of his presence. And he goes with them. The tabernacle moves and then the tabernacle becomes temple. The temple is tabernacle, except it stays. It's right there among them, a daily reminder of the presence of God in their midst. Now envision Jesus saying, destroy this temple, and it will be raised. God in your midst. You want authentic faith? That's the locus of it. It's Jesus. You know, the, the Jewish, excuse me, the, the temple staff, their faith was about behaving Jewishly, religiously. It was about going to temple. It was about reading the Torah. It was about offering sacrifices, celebrating the feast, keeping the codes, all good things. They weren't bad things, but they were elements that pointed to God. They were expressions of their faith, but the elements for these guys had completely swallowed up authentic faith. It was now about the, the elements the heart of faith was gone. It was artificial. I think that's what John wants to get across here. That's what he's addressing with this narrative. This is more than Jesus flipping tables. This is Jesus overturning the whole system. The whole temple system that was oriented. That had become oriented around the elements not God. Jesus, in a sense, is destroying their temple. One they've created. And he's making a claim. You want temple. You want sacred. It's right here. Among you. The word became flesh. You want a sign? Destroy this temple. And I will raise it up. I think a revolution was started that moment. I don't know anyone saw it. Maybe if John didn't move the story to early, this is why he did it. He wanted us to see the beginning of the revolution. That's for the scholars to sort out. Destroy this temple, this body, and I will raise it. Now John's writing decades later. Interesting, it all came to pass. They destroyed that body, didn't they? And in three days, we'll celebrate that next week. 
That temple, that edifice, that majestic building that had taken 46 years to construct, guess what? 40 years after Jesus cleared the temple, Rome took care of that one. They destroyed it. AD 70, it was gone. The Jewish community had a crisis. This locus of God, His presence, is no longer with us. What what do we do? Jesus was telling them right here. I am the temple. You want an authentic faith that can't be destroyed. In war, in COVID, in political unrest... In a divided place, one an authentic faith, the locus is Jesus and nothing else. I get so tired of having to struggle with the the forces that want to alter my faith and the labels and brands that we want to attach to simple faith in Jesus. I want my faith to not be politically conservative or politically liberal. I don't want it to be Calvinist or Arminian. I don't want it to be reformed or not reformed. I want it to be about Jesus. That's the prophetic voice I want in my life. And I want to live out of that, not those elements that alter it. We're going to have our positions and thoughts about the issues, and that's okay. But there's only one way to authentic faith, and it is through his temple. I want us to listen to the prophet Isaiah, and then we're going to do something a little different to end our service. So Isaiah's writing 600 years before this. And he pins these unbelievable words about Jesus' body. And so maybe, maybe listen, read through that prism this time, through the temple, Jesus' body. Surely, he says of the Messiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. But the Lord has laid on him our temple, the iniquity of us all. As we begin Holy Week, Uh, This week, maybe this is an appropriate start 
And maybe it's worth asking, are there things that Christ wants to flip in you? Is there things he wants to turn over? Is your faith altered in some way? Or have you been distracted? Have you given your attention to things that might be important, but they're not of primary importance? They're not first order. They're not centered on Christ. Maybe there's things Christ wants to clear out of you. And this is a moment that that can start. I'm, we're going to end with listening to a song. We, I, I debated with Chance and Jade whether to do this or not, but uh, there, there's a song that I think goes really well with this. I'm going to give you a heads up. It's a little different. Not, to me, it's not. It's from the 70s. Um, so please forgive in advance the boomers in the room who will hold up their phones and start doing this during the song. For the rest of you, uh, so Keith Green was the kind of a prophetic voice of my generation. He was a comedian that came to Christ. He was like 50% musician and 50% kind of prophet. His music kind of rang into our souls as college students way back in the 70s. There, there was a simplicity about his music and his message. He wasn't necessarily the greatest musician ever. But I've not personally found a prophetic voice quite as strong. This song is called Rushing Wind. And you'll, you're going to note that we're going to put the lyrics up for you. You're going to notice there's a temple reference in the opening. I think it's repeated later. But here's what I'd like you to invite you to do with it. Uh, not evaluate musicians like take that hat off. Uh, it's not terrible music. I'm just saying it's different than what you're used to. Chance and Jade told me I needed to tell you this. So, <laughs> I, want, I want you to lean in to the call to authentic faith in Jesus. If you will let it, the song will help you nurture that, I think. It'll, it'll speak prophetically. Uh, to, to your soul, I hope. I hope it will. Uh, we're going to end this time. I'll come up and pray when the song is over. But I want you to not just appreciate it, if you can. I want you to hear it as invitation to you. Invitation to Christ to come and clean out the clutter. What's been altered. What might be artificial. And re return you to the simple joy and purity of belonging to and believing in and being with Jesus. That's where the light in your life will come from. Let's listen.
Pray together. As we close this time, I, I want to offer invitation to you, to each of us, to enter the presence of God through this temple of Jesus. Maybe for the first time maybe anew. It is Christ who has come to live with us, among us, who still lives with us, among us. The church is His body. We don't always know how He is the answer to the stuff that we are working through and struggling through, but He is. He holds it all together. In Him, all things have been created. He oversees all things. He is the light of the world. Father, we want to have authentic faith. We want there to be this purity that, that Jesus had and that what He saw wasn't that provoked Him so to take such drastic action, to use such strong language. He's going to protect this. Lord, help us to protect this. Help us to keep you, our sacred place, our Savior, our Lord, at the center. Make Help us make and nurture our, our lives about Christ. In that we find joy and peace and purpose and a future and a hope in healing in our pain and comfort in our sorrow. Peace in our anxiety. God, help us to look to you. This week, Lord, as we reflect 
We have people in our community helping us through social media with reflections on, on Holy Week and Easter. Father, as we do that, Lord, give us capacity to fix our eyes on Christ. We pray in his good name. Amen. Debbie?